It's Monday, April 16th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the gospel according to Luke, and we are joined by Blake Rogers. Blake will walk us through Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 21. In our staff-wide Bible study today, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 13, and we're going to be looking at uh, verses 1 through 21. And we find four different stories uh, within these 21 verses, and so we'll just kind of Uh, work through each one uh, as they come to us. But I would encourage you, if you have an opportunity to open God's Word with us, uh, that you would open to Luke chapter 13, and we'll start with the first story here, the first five verses. Verse 1, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now this is an interesting introduction to Luke uh, chapter 13, and in in an interesting introduction to uh, what Jesus is uh, wants us to know here. Uh, but essentially, his disciples are asking a question. They're wondering uh, why tragedy happens. Um, they're trying to discern why uh, harsh things happen uh, to good people. And so we won't get into um, a full theology of uh, good and evil today, but we will just address uh, what these people are asking Jesus here in the in the response that Jesus uh, gives. But this question comes from uh, likely a time where God fearers were going to the temple to worship, and on their way there, they had their doves, they had their lambs, they had whatever animal they were bringing to sacrifice that day, and as they were going toward the temple. They were confronted, likely, with Roman soldiers, and these Roman soldiers slain them by the sword. It's a very tragic story, and their blood was mingled with the blood of their sacrifices. They were attacked as they were there worshiping God. This is a very sad thing. It's a harsh reality, and it should sit uneasy uh, with us. And he answered them. So this is Jesus' response to their question. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What Jesus is getting at here is he is addressing um, a, a tendency within the human mind and the human heart to think that um, Worse people are due worse circumstances, and good people are due good circumstances in the world, which we come to find out in this parable is just not true. These Galileans who were going to worship were no less sinners because of the tragedy that they endured. They had nothing to do with uh, their life. This was just an unfortunate, uh, a very unfortunate uh, providence. It's very hard and difficult to understand uh, in light of God's sovereignty and in light of God's goodness and in light of His His wisdom. And yet, Jesus uses this opportunity to highlight this, this uh, as they have highlighted this tragedy, He uses this as an opportunity to point them to repentance. And he, by saying this, 
No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What you're seeing here is that Jesus, recognizing that this is a great tragedy, he's not being insensitive here, uh, but what Jesus also knows is that the greatest tragedy of all is that human beings have rebelled and sinned against a holy God. They've rebelled against, we all have rebelled and sinned against a holy God. Uh, we were created from dust, and yet we often look at God with disdain, and we reject His authority uh, in our lives. We reject the rule and reign of God over our own lives, and that is the greatest tragedy. Jesus says that unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. There's another story here. Verse 4, Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Again, he says, no, I tell you, but unless you likewise perish or repent, you will all likewise perish. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Again, Jesus is using this tragedy and the weightiness of um, these circumstances to point people to uh, the greatest tragedy of all of the world. Uh, that we have rebelled and sinned against God. And I wanted to look at just four words um, in Jesus's uh, response here. Um, he, he, he tells them um, that they need to repent. And that is the, the first word that, that I want us to look at uh, here. I found some uh, different definitions from some guys that I really respect from church history um, and even our, in, in current church life um, who talk about repentance. And so uh, we need to understand uh, Jesus has just addressed very tragic situa- a very tragic situation, and he wants us to understand uh, something um, very important about repentance. Charles Spurgeon once said this, that repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning that we have committed it, and a re- resolution to forsake it. It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character, which makes the man love what he once hated and hate what he once loved. I'm going to read that last sentence again. It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character, which a man, which makes the man love what he once hated and hate what he once loved. J.I. Packer would say uh, this, Repentance means turning from as much as you know of your sin to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of your God. And as our knowledge grows at these three points, so our practice of repentance has to be enlarged. So I just want to read that again. It's so good. Repentance means turning from as much as you know of your sin, which we all have, to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of your God. And as our knowledge grows, it's these three at these three points, so our practice of repentance has to be enlarged. John Piper would go on to say this, Repenting means experiencing a change of mind that now sees God as true and beautiful and worthy of all of our praise and all of our obedience. This is repentance. This is what Jesus is telling these people here. Yes, they have endured, people who do endure tragic circumstances. And no, on on this side of heaven, I don't think that we will have access to all of the answers 
for why things happen the way that we do. But we as believers, we trust in the goodness of God. We trust in the sovereignty of God. We trust in the wisdom of God when we endure such things. And Jesus uses this as an opportunity to point these people to repentance. Ultimately, the greatest tragedy in all the world is that we rebel against God. And God calls us to repentance and praise Him uh, for that. The second word that I want us just to briefly look at here is in Jesus' response. He tells us to, or unless you repent, you will all, all meaning everyone, uh, everyone listening to this podcast, me, everyone in our staff-wide Bible study, every people everywhere, post-Adam, we are all in the category of people who need to repent of our sins. Uh, Jesus is intentional about this. There's no good that you bring to this world that would allow you to escape a category of person who needs to repent. We are all in that category. We are all rebelled against God. And even a single sin uh, is enough um, to condemn us. Um, there, even a single sin uh, is enough to to put us in a category of people who need to repent, to change our mind, to see God as worthy and beautiful, and to reject sin as wicked in our own lives. Likewise is the third word we'll look at here. You will all likewise uh, perish. This is this means in the same manner. And again, I've, I've talked, I've mentioned it earlier, but this is the greatest tragedy um, that you would suffer uh, eternity uh, without God. Uh, what is required for um, being a member of the kingdom of God? Well, it is faith and repentance. And those who do not enter into the kingdom of God through faith and repentance, they too likewise suffer the greatest tragedy of all. This is a worse tragedy um, because it is one that ends up in perishing. Now, that's the fourth word that we want to look at in Jesus' response. This perish is not just referring to an earthly death. Um, it is referring to a, a, a eschatological death, a, an end times death, an eternal death, a perishing, a separation, a withering, a going away, a, a very um, a, a level of brokenness um, that would mark um, the experience of anyone who does not repent. Again, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. This is a great reminder for me. This is a great reminder for you this morning. Anybody who is in the kingdom of God, anyone who does love God, is one who has felt and seen the grace of God as being beautiful. They're, the heart of that person delights in the Lord and disdains uh, their sins and turns uh, from that. It's also true that uh, this is the hope of everybody listening to, to this podcast who is a believer, but it's also the hope of the world. This is why we must be intentional about uh, telling uh, this, these very important words, these very important truths to our neighbors, to our friends. We need to do this missionally. We need to go uh, and be on mission for God because this message, repent, repentance of sins and believing in the Lord God, is the hope of the world. The second story that we have here is the parable of the barren fig tree. Verse 6, And he told this parable, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should, why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it, 
and put on manure. And then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. This is a very interesting parable. And I think it has to be taken um, and read within the context of this previous uh, story here. Uh, Jesus here is talking about repentance. And we know that repentance is a gift that comes uh, is an action that comes after a heart has been won uh, by the gospel of God uh, through the grace of God in Christ. So repentance is, is in, a, in a sense, um, a type of fruitfulness that flows uh, out of a heart that has been changed. And we're talking here about a parable regarding fruitfulness. I think that this is uh, absolutely important to keep in mind the context here. Uh, we believe that um, like the historic Protestant uh, faith, uh, that we are saved by faith alone, uh, by grace alone, in Christ alone. But we also do not believe in a faith that is alone. We believe in a faith uh, because we believe this is what the Bible teaches. We believe in a faith that is um, th- that works itself out in the life of a believer who is fruitful, who lives a repentant life who uh, is uh, on mission for God. We, we believe that, and this is what uh, Jesus is seeking to communicate here. It is interesting that this fig tree, uh, which is a common tree, is planted in a vineyard. Um, this, this vineyard is a place where grapes are grown. Uh, it's not necessarily a place for fig trees, but what the author is communicating here is that this is in a place suitable uh, for growth. This, this is... This is a place where the soil is good for growth. This is a place where the elements were good for growth. And surely, if a fig tree was going to produce fruit, it would be in this place. It would be in a vineyard. This should be a fruitful tree. And yet, he's come looking for three years now and has found no fruit. Well, Jesus's, uh, the, the response here um, from uh, the man who comes looking for fruit is that uh, he's they just cut it down. He tells the vine dresser, just cut it down. Just do away with it. This communicates seriousness. This communicates um, that, you know, this man is looking for this tree to produce fruit. And if it doesn't produce fruit for a time, there's going to be a judgment that comes to this tree. It is going to be cut down. And the vine dresser, uh, on behalf of the tree, is saying, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on some more manure, put on some manure. So he's going to work the elements a little differently. He's asking for another year um, of grace before uh, this man judges and cuts down uh, this tree. And I think that this parable ultimately is here to serve as a reminder to us and even a warning to us. Um, That yes, while we are saved by faith alone, and yes, we are saved by grace alone and in Christ alone, that our faith does not go alone. When when Christ has come and he has captured the heart of a person, he radically changes the heart of that person to be uh, from what used to be a heart focused on self-gratification to a a heart that is focused on uh, gratification, uh, God gratification. Pleasing God uh, works itself out in um, in human action that is God-honoring. That's a warning uh, for us all. But it's also a, just a healthy reminder, and it's also just a healthy test uh, for us as we examine our own hearts and our own faith um, as a community in, uh, of believers. 
The third story we see here is a story where Jesus interacts with a woman with a disabling spirit in verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called, he called over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. And the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all of his adversaries were put to shame, and all of the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. We have a situation where Jesus is teaching in the synagogues, and he pursues this woman. And we're just going to look at um, just a couple of notes here. You could ex- you could do an in-depth study of this uh, story and, and just dig and dig truth um, for, for hours and hours and hours. But we're just going to highlight the fact that Jesus is the one who was teaching in the synagogues, and he pursued this woman. Sometimes we see um, those who are uh, marked by the effects of the fall, uh, those who are who are lepers, those who um, are are sick, are crippled, are weak. Uh, we see them going to Jesus. I recall the story of the woman reaching as Jesus is passing by and touching his cloak. Uh, very much her reaching to him in order to be saved. She recognized. Uh, that the Savior was here, the Messiah was here. And yet here we see Jesus going to this woman, pursuing her. Um, Jesus is doing uh, what the Savior has come to do. He has come to reverse all of sin and its effects. He's He's here to reverse the curse in a sense, and he does so uh, for this woman who had been in a terrible condition for 18 years. But notice this doesn't go over well. Um, there are there are the Pharisees here who no doubt judge Jesus for healing this woman uh, on the Sabbath, and Jesus confronts them uh, for doing that by saying, "This, you hypocrites, do not each of you untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it." What Jesus is saying here: Don't you do common things on the Sabbath? So do I do common things on the Sabbath? It is not an uncommon thing. It is not a um, it is not a far-fetched thing that Jesus, at the presence, at the word of Jesus, that sin and its effects would flee from the risen Christ, from from Christ. Here, this is the Messiah who would be, who would come and die, and ultimately defeat sin, death, and the devil, and and would be raised again. Like he, his whole life is marked by uh, defeating sin and defeating its effects. And this woman is the beneficiary. Uh, in this story, and so too are you and I. Um, If you're a believer, Christ, we we were in the condition of this woman, and Christ has reached down to us, and he has broken sin's power over our lives. And that's what I think Luke is seeking to communicate here in this story. We're going to end with just by looking at the mustard seed and the leaven, verses 18 through 21. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? What an interesting question. What is the kingdom of God like? 
And to what shall I compare it? He goes on to say, it is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the and the birds of the air make nests in its branches. What he's saying here is the kingdom of God is so inconspicuous in its beginning in its inception and even in the time where Jesus was walking around here and healing people and proclaiming that people need to repent and believe the kingdom was at hand. Um, it, it is so inconspicuous. It goes forward by the word of Christ. It is so inconspicuous. But if you just think about the, th- the couple of thousands of years that have transpired since Jesus was here walking the earth, those mustard seed type inconspicuous words that Jesus was preaching has grown into a religion, into a following into a a movement of people by the millions and millions and millions uh, who profess that Jesus is Lord and bow the knee to him as king. Just in a couple thousand years, we've seen this happen in world history. And Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, very inconspicuous in its start. And then it grows into a great tree that birds find solace in, that birds find rest in, that creation comes to rest in. This is the kingdom of God. He also would say this in verse 20, and he said, and he again said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until the until it was all leaven. Um, here he is referring to the process of, of making bread. Um, in, in this short parable, he, he links it to a woman who puts leaven in the flour as she's baking bread. Uh, leaven uh, contained a, a, almost an unexplainable hidden power. As it infiltrated the entire batch of dough, it, the dough would slowly begin to rise. It was, um, I, I highly doubt that they knew all the scientific reasons behind why this happened, but they did know that when you put leaven in flour, it would cause the dough to rise. And although this leaven remained hidden, and it kind of seemed insignificant, bread cannot rise without it. Many of the Jews in Jesus' day were expecting God's kingdom just to burst into the world all at once. Jesus, however, taught them that God has his own timetable. His kingdom is like the leaven that makes the dough rise. As God's reign and rule extends and it it permeates every aspect of society, the world will eventually be touched by God's transforming power. So what is the kingdom like? It's like a mustard seed, and it's like leaven. It seems inconspicuous, but there are obvious fruits. There are obvious powers uh, within uh, these two Thing. So for us as believers, um, what is the kingdom of God? Well, I like to think about the kingdom of God as being just simply this, the place where the rule of Christ is known and practice, the place where the rule of Christ is known and practice. So you, if you are a person who recognizes the rule and reign of Christ, you are an ambassador of the kingdom of God by faith and repentance. You've come to know him. You've come to acknowledge him as king. So too is it when we gather in our churches. 
the kingdom of God is very much manifested in the group in the in the gathering of a group of local believers, people who collectively come together and recognize collectively that Jesus Christ rules and reigns over all things. This is the kingdom of God. It's like a mustard seed and it's like leaven. And my encouragement to you today as we finish out this study of these 21 verses is that you would, as our first story told us, repent and believe. As our second story told us, that you would bear much fruit out of that. As our third story told us, that you would be enamored with the power and the reality that Christ is Messiah who has come, who is actively reversing the effects of the fall and the curse worldwide. And and as our fourth story told us, that you would be an active participant in the kingdom of God, that today you would recognize the rule and reign of Christ, and that you would seek, like leaven, like a mustard seed, to to grow the kingdom of Christ with your influence uh, that you have today. Thank you for being with us. We look forward to hearing uh, for you to join us next week. Thank you. Well, thanks, Blake. And this week, we are praying for the country of Pakistan. And today, we are praying that God will continue to strengthen local believers and specifically strengthen the faith of those that are being persecuted because of their faith in Christ. And we're praying that that believers will be strengthened by the Word and the Spirit and will boldly proclaim the gospel to those that need to hear. We pray that the Lord will use dreams and visions to speak the gospel to Muslims who are perishing. And we pray for relations between the United States and Pakistan. Pakistan. We pray for our partners that they would have wisdom uh, to make decisions and in helping guide our partner developing hope as we work to make the gospel known to these orphan girls in Pakistan. We we praise God for how he continues to grow relationship with our in-country partners who direct the girls home. And we pray for all of those involved in the sewing centers and the members of the local churches. And we, we pray for the Muslim community that surrounds the girls' home, that they will see the light and the truth of Christ through these girls and the staff at the home. And we also, we pray for the spiritual strongholds on some of the girls as they struggle with trauma and loss and grief as they live in difficult, difficult circumstances. And we praise God for some of the new Bible studies that are taking place in the areas around the girls' home. People truly are hearing and coming to faith in Christ. So let's let's pray for this girls' home and for the gospel in the country of Pakistan. Lord, we pray for the country of Pakistan. Lord, we would pray that your gospel would go forth. We pray that you would use dreams and visions and that you would use uh, believers in Pakistan to make the truth of the gospel known to all that are in Pakistan. We pray for our relationships with that government, that you would open up opportunities for visas and opportunities for travel and opportunities for your gospel to penetrate the highways and the byways, the low places and the high places. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to partner with Developing Hope and to partner directly with these girls at the girls' home. And we pray for continued wisdom that would direct our operations, continued uh, opportunities to make the gospel known to these orphan girls and ultimately the provision that's needed to continue the ministry. Lord, we know that you own a cattle on a thousand hills and you will provide for Lifeline, you will provide for developing hope, and ultimately you will provide a way for your gospel to go forth, especially to countries like Pakistan. In your name we pray, amen. 
Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.